This year, I mean it. I mean it, mean it. I could not possibly mean it anymore. I got this. Candy bars, gone. Funyuns, gone. Ice cream, candy bars and Funyuns are gone. This year, I'm gonna connect with people, IRL. In real life. I made a list. That means I mean it. I'm gonna take care of myself. Right after I figure out who that is, other than a mom, which I love. I beat myself up. I'm never good enough. That has to change. Why do I do that? I'm such an idiot. See? This year I'm gonna work on being the cool dad, you know? Maybe go to the skate park, hang out with my kids. No biggie. <laughs> this works, right? I gotta learn to forgive myself. You know, give myself a break. Not be perfect. I've got it. I'm gonna step outside of my comfort zone by volunteering at the hospital. Maybe the pet shelter. Cause cats, they're so much easier. This year, I'm gonna forgive my mom. Now that I am a mom, I, I totally get it. This year I'm gonna start reading literature. You know, books and such. Cause I hear it's good for me. This year, I'm shaving my back hair. I am tired of those kids at the neighborhood pool calling me Sasquatch. It's just that I am comfortable staying in my comfort zone. Who am I kidding? God, I wear myself out trying to outdo everyone. I, I can one-up everything, and it's exhausting. I have a lot of baggage, and it is not all from the mall. Well, some of it is. I'm trying, God, I am. But there's a reason why I'd rather stay at home. I'm weak, God. I know it. You know it. And you know what, God? This year, I'm giving you all the places that hurt. I'm gonna give you all of my failed attempts that I think are gonna make me a better man. You are a strong fortress, God. You! And I'm gonna let you be strong in my weakness. All right, God. I'm gonna start with the best relationship. You and me. And then, We'll move outward from there. Hmm? Because this year, I mean it. I mean it. I mean it. I mean it. Hey. I mean it, right? Yeah, I hear you. All right. Um, how many enjoy the, uh, the game show Family Feud? Y'all like that? Okay, the last hour, they acted like I didn't even know what that was. Like... Family Feud, you know, where they ask these, here's the top five answers, right? All right. So I did a little bit of research, and I found the top five, actually there's 10 of them, but I found that we're just, for time's sake, the top five New Year resolutions, okay? Now, these are acquired over the last decade. So these are the top five New Year resolutions that people have. Now, in your worship guide, there should be some little slots right there, right? And we're going to start from the bottom and work our way up. I'm going to ask you what you think. So what do you think the fifth New Year's resolution would be for 2020? What do you think it is? What was that? Quit smoking. Quit smoking. All right. What else? Eat healthier. 
What is number five? I think we heard it. Eat healthier. Hey, can we all say amen to that? Amen. Some of y'all are really skinny. You don't have to, but most of us have to. All right, number four. What do you think the fourth one would be on this list? Exercise. I know what y'all are thinking, like it's all going to be about health, and it almost is. No, number four is get a new job. All right? Amen? All right, I don't want a new job. I'm happy with the job I have. So when you see Kenneth walking around here today, let him know. Rick said he's happy with his job. I absolutely am. Number three. Number three. Put it up there. Exercise more. I'm not even going to ask, because if I ask, then I have to implicate myself. So I'm not even going to ask how many of y'all exercise. But it says we need to do more of that. All right, number two. What's number two say? Improve your finances. Amen? Like I said earlier about the loser thing, you know, we're going to get out of debt this year. Only to put on more debt, right? Comes Christmas, get out the belt card. Let's go ahead. Let's do it. And number, what do you think the number one on the list would be? Say it again. How many of y'all think it's lose weight? Oh, is it? Okay. <laughs> See, hey, y'all are cheating already in 2020. You're cheating. There's five others that round out the list. Number six is manage stress better. I think that's a good one. Uh, stop smoking, as mentioned. Improve a relationship. Stop procrastinating. And set aside time for yourself. All right. I've already mentioned that I really don't like resolutions because it just reminds me how weak I am, right? What a loser I am at the end of the year. We're looking back saying, oh my goodness, I I didn't get any of these. So what we want to do is how about if we try to change the narrative going forward? Instead of resolutions that remind us how weak we are, let's focus on embracing something that is everlasting and provides this promise. And this is the promise we're going to stand upon in 2020. Here's the, this is my promise. Kids may have another one next week, right? My promise for 2020 is this one, that you will never stumble. I want you to think about that. One translation will say, and I like this translation, you will never fall. Now think about that. That is a promise from God, and it's going to be revealed to us here in the book of 2 Peter. So I want you to turn in your Bibles to 2 Peter. So if you look at my Bible, you're not quite sure where it is. It's near the end of the Bible. So you go all the way near the end of the Bible, you're going to come to it. It's after Hebrews and after James, and you're going to find 1 Peter, and then there'll be 2 Peter. Peter, this is his second of letters he's sending to basically the same people. These are Christians who are both Gentiles and Jews who have been converted to Christianity. He's writing this letter to them, and many scholars feel like this letter is, is Peter's last will and testament because Shortly after he writes this letter, Peter dies. And he knows he's going to go to, he knows he's going to die because it's been revealed to him. And you can read it right there in chapter one. So Peter knows that his time on this earth is coming to an end. And so there is this, um, this, this sense of motivation and urgency in Peter's life to make sure he kind of finishes his race, that he, he gets to the end along the way. And so he writes this letter affirming and encouraging his readers to say, listen, I want you to finish what you started. I want you to hang in there because in our midst, there are false teachers who are teaching basically a different doctrine of Jesus. 
And he wants to warn them. He wants, he wants to, for them to stand firm in their faith. The same faith that the apostles had, there I think in verse two he mentions it, is the same faith that they have. In other words, it's a sure faith. It's a faith that's rooted in Jesus Christ along the way. So he's writing this letter as an encouragement to the fellow believers who are being um, torn, if you will, from this doctrine that they had that was pure and holy and true from the apostles, from these false teachers who are coming in and trying to persuade them. So that's the context in which we read here in 2 Peter, starting in verse 3. So let's start in verse 3, and we're going to read. It says, His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of Him, who called us by His own glory and goodness. Through these, and you may go, well, what does these mean? If you go back up to verse 3, you'll see there's two things. His divine power... And it says, his, our knowledge. So he, we have this divine power and, and this godly life through our knowledge, which is our faith. So God's power, our faith. Through these, he has given us very great and precious promises so that through them, you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. For this very reason, the reason I just mentioned, Peter is saying, Make, an every, make every effort to add to your faith goodness and to goodness knowledge and to knowledge self-control and to self-control perseverance and to perseverance godliness and to godliness mutual affection and to mutual affection he ends with love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Remember the context. These false teachers are teaching them a false doctrine and pulling many of those away from the real faith in Jesus Christ. Number, uh, verse 9. But whoever does not have these is nearsighted and blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their past sins. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm your calling and election. For if you do these things, here's the promise, you will never stumble. And I think a better translation is, you will never fall. Verse 11, and you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So Peter here lists seven attributes of Christ's character. This goodness, knowledge, self-control, perseverance, godliness, mutual affection and love. He says, if you hold on to these in increasing measure, he says that you will never, ever fall. Now, before we get to these requirements, what is required to get to that point? I got two verses that I want us to stand upon this morning. Ephesians 2.10, Paul writes this. He says, we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So I want us to know today, if you are in Christ, if you have a genuine, and let me repeat that, a genuine relationship with Jesus Christ, it says that we are part of God's workmanship. He is not done with us. It's like being, and I love to watch the HD TV channel, you know, and I've, I've gotten hooked on this um, um, uh, hometown thing that's on there where they build these homes. I want you to know, we are his workmanship. In other words, what we start with is not what we end up with. That he's already provided me these good works. This path in which I am to go to grow more like Christ. 
Philippians 2.12 says this, Paul writes, Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. So what Paul is saying is that's not good enough to say I'm in Christ. He's saying that in Christ, God has provided for you these works that we're supposed to do. It does not save you, but it reflects on who you are as a follower of Jesus Christ. Then Paul goes on to say, hey, listen, it's still, it's not good enough just to say I'm a Christian. He says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. In other words, understand what God did for you as a follower of Christ, that he gave up his only son to die on a cross so that you could have eternal life. He gave up his son for you. So Paul reminds us of this as we are Christians walking forward with Jesus. So Rick, how do we become stumble-free in 2020? Or how do we not fall in 2020? Here's three requirements to be stumble-free in 2020. Here's requirement number one. It requires his power. Look at verse three again. It says, his divine power has given us everything we need. His divine power. Power. So it's got to be a divine power. It can't be a human power or a man power. It's got to be God's power. And by the way, that word divine there, that divine power, if you look it up in the Greek, it's, basically it's saying that it's God's ultimate plan to redeem man through Jesus Christ. Amen. Ultimate power. His divine power. Galatians 4, verses 4 and 5 says this, But when the set time had fully come, God sent his Son born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoptions to sonship. It's a promise that we have been taken out of law through Jesus Christ. And because of that, we're considered adopted as sons and daughters in Christ. So it's a divine power that we have, not me. And it's also a complete power. It says this power gives us everything we need. Everything. I don't know about you, but um, this past week, I guess it was, maybe two, two weeks ago, I was watching the semifinals of the football, and um, I was watching Clemson uh, take on Ohio State. Most of us in this state were pulling for Clemson. But it was after the game that I was really intrigued, because I know Dabo, he's a, he's a strong believer, and I knew what he was going to say. But they interviewed the young quarterback, Trevor Lawrence, and he quoted this verse, Ephesians 3.20. He says, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us. God has given us a complete power that's in him. It's for everything we need. And when that verse in Ephesians 3.20 says immeasurable, when I look it up, it's almost as if they couldn't find a word for it. Amen. It was so vast. It was so big. And what they called it in this, what the Greek kind of translation is, it's this super abundantly. I don't even know if that's a word, okay? Super abundantly. In other words, it's something that we can't even imagine. That's God's power. He's able to do super abundantly more than we could ever ask or imagine. I know for some of us who go, well, that's quite a bit. 
And God's big enough. He's big enough according to his will that he can do much more than we could ever imagine because it's super abundantly is what he's telling us. It's a divine power. It's a complete power. Peter is trying to tell his readers here that God's power is all they need. It is complete. It's enough when temptation comes. When you're lured by the world and your eyes are lured by the world or what you hear is lured by the world, he says, listen, my power is enough when temptations come. It's enough when people will fail you along the way. It's enough when you lose your job. It's enough when you get sick and you're in the hospital. And it's enough when you fear tomorrow in your life. Now, I, you know, it's 2020. And as an old athlete, you know, I, I really tried not to look back on things in my life. It was always going forward. And Rick Callahan last week, he preached on Philippians 3. And in there it says that, Forgetting what is behind and reaching or striving for what is ahead. And it's so true when we think about what we have going on. But I also know that 2019, for many who are in this room that I know of, it was a really hard year. It was a very difficult year. Some in here have lost loved ones, some tragically. Some in here have fought cancer and have been under treatment over most of this year. Some in here have have a broken relationship, and they're at wit's end. They have no idea what to make of it going forward. Some of them in here have lost their job, and they don't know when the next meal is coming. And I want you to know that God says his power is enough. It can't be mine. Now, here's typically what happens in Rick's life. So I struggle with this picture of being dependent, totally dependent upon God. I know you go, well, man, for a, for a preacher, really? No, yes, I'm human, right? Absolutely, I'm human. And so many times God will have this plan in my life. And what will happen is, is I'll think way too highly of Rick than what I should. And I begin to veer off this course of God's plan. And I begin because of maybe my own talents, or my own gifting, or whatever it may be. I begin to take this path away from God's path in my life. And this is what happens every time in my life. God will hit me over the head with a two by four. All right, first of all, that's what he does. There's usually consequences for doing this. And he'll always bring me back to that moment in which I decided it's going to be on my power, on my terms, and my will versus God's will. He'll bring me back to that spot. So, okay, Rick, you learned the hard way. Maybe, just maybe, you've learned a lesson along the way. It is my power that's going to get you through this. It's not your own. It's not how convincing you can be. It's not how, how hard you can work. Rick, this is my plan for your life. And as long as you veer off of it, you're veering away from my plan in your life. It requires his power and not mine. And here's a question for all of us. What is it in your life that you need the power of God and not your own? You know, that'd be a great thing to write down for 2020. What is it in your life that you need God's power and not your own power? So it requires his power, here's the second thing it requires to be stumble-free in 2020. It requires an abiding faith. His divine power has given us everything we need in verse 3 for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. This knowledge is a picture of this intimate knowledge of understanding and knowing what's true. It's this picture of having a genuine and authentic relationship, this knowledge of Jesus Christ. 
You know, my wife, she's not here. She'll be here in the next service. But I share her testimony many times in our Discover Westwood class. Who She walked down the aisle as a young child because her best friend said, hey, let's, I'm going to get saved today. You, you want to go forward with me? And of course, what friend is not going to go with them, right? She walked down this aisle and she got to the front and the pastor knew this girl was coming down because that was his daughter and looked at Linda and said, hey, listen, do you want to get saved too? Well, you know, what's an what's a, a eight-year-old child going to say? No, in front of the pastor and congregation. Well, yeah, I want to get saved, you know, right? No, I'm eight years old. I want to live a, a horrible life. Yes, I want to get saved. So she prayed that prayer that most of us in this room prayed. She had a knowledge of Jesus. She didn't have an intimate knowledge of Jesus. She knew who Jesus was. She'd been to church, been to Sunday school. But she didn't have this genuine knowledge in her heart of the conviction of sin in her life. She didn't have that kind of knowledge. She just walked down the aisle and said, I want Jesus. You can't be saved unless you're convicted of your sin because that's why Jesus came, right? That's why he came to this earth. He came to die for your sin. So it was years later. We were married. And we had an evangelist who preached, you know, a sermon, Wheat and a Tear. She realized that she didn't have this intimate knowledge of Jesus. She had a head knowledge, not a heart knowledge. My wife, she got saved that day. I got to baptize her the next night at this revival. We're talking about this intimate knowledge. It's the kind of faith that says, you know what, Lord? I am yours and you are mine. John 15, 5 says it this way. It says, I am the vine and you are the branches. If a man remains in me, abides in me, and I am him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, he can do nothing. It's this abiding faith. It's this genuine, authentic, real knowledge who Jesus is and why he came to this earth and why I needed him. Not just because it's a story that we hear at Easter, but because it's this genuine conviction of what's wrong in my life that I need a savior for. It's that kind of faith that we're talking about here in 2 Peter. Peter says, you need the divine power of God. It's a requirement. But you also need this divine faith, this real faith that's in your life. I don't know about you, how you learned how to swim. Um, you know, my kids were little. <clears throat> um, this is how they learned how to swim. We hired somebody, okay? So we had this swim instructor, I think at the YMCA. So we took our kids there every day for like a month, right? My kids were slow. <laughs> and they taught them, you know, the, the, the lady taught them how to, how, to, how to hold their breath and not be afraid of the water and how to paddle and how to kick their feet, all that kind of good stuff. Well, that's not the way I learned how to swim. Back in my day, it was a little bit different. So we were at a pool. My grandparents had this lake house, the summer lake house, and had a pool. So we're down at the pool. So all the family's there, aunts and uncles, grandparents, and my dad. So my dad's in the pool, and he's right off the side. It's time for Rick to learn how to swim. Okay, it's time, right? I mean, I'm like one. It's time. That's <laughs> why we did things back then, right? <laughs> it's time for Rick to learn how to swim. So my dad's in the pool, and he's begging me to jump. Rick, jump. I'm here. I'm here to catch you. You know I love you. I'm going to catch you. You're not going to drown. All right, just jump into the water. Have some faith. All right, have some faith. Well, I'm like going, okay, man, it's, it's, like, it's like a foot and a half down. <laughs> I'm a little kid, didn't know how to swim. Well, unbeknownst to me, my uncle John, John Mark, great 
Christian name, all right? Didn't act like a Christian at this point, but he comes up from behind me. And I didn't know it at the time, but I could see my dad winking, like. And I'm shoved into the pool. This is, by the way, this is how we learned how to swim back then, all right? Sink or swim. So I come popping up out of the water, and there's my dad with a big grin on his face, just smiling. And then he begins to back up. Not to catch me, but for me to do what? To get to him, right? Swim, as if I knew how to swim. Swim, you know? Have some faith in here. Have some faith. Well, I swam, okay? It didn't look pretty. I made it to dad. This faith that knows that I'm gonna jump without any guarantees. That's the kind of faith, this abiding faith. There used to be this tightrope uh, performer. We shared this illustration before. It's a great one, a true story. He, he, was, he was in the circus acts all the time and he wanted a little money on the side because he didn't get much money back then. So he would put his tightrope up a part of Niagara Falls and he'd gather a crowd and he'd have a little jar there and he would, he would do stunts out on this tightrope over Niagara Falls. So he had this big bar and he would stand on his head and he would walk stand on one leg, come back, all these kinds of things. Then he'd get a barrel, take the wheel, he had the tire off the barrel, so it was just a rim. And he'd go out on this type rope. He'd do all these tricks and stunts in this, in this wheelbarrow. And he'd come to the side and he'd look at the crowd and he'd say, hey, how many of you believe that I could take one of you out of this wheelbarrow and bring you back? Well, they just saw all these wonderful things he was doing, right? They all raised their hand. Yeah, man, we believe, we believe. And then he says, okay, all those who have your hand raised, who wants to be the first one to get in this wheelbarrow? Let me take you out. <laughs> That'd be a big fat no, right? <laughs> no, I don't believe that much. I don't have that kind of faith in you. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians, for we walk by faith and not by what? Not by sight. It's not about the things that happen around you. It's by faith that we walk. It is a faith that needs to be rooted in action. If you truly have a knowledge, this intimate knowledge of Christ in your life, then you will act upon that knowledge. Your abiding faith is and should be a steadfast faith. James 1 writes, blessed is the man who remains, abides, steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. James says, you're going to come at storms in your life. But those who remain, those who abide, those are the ones that we really know because there's action in your faith. Amen. So we need a required power that comes from God. We need this abiding faith to be stumble free. But here's the third thing. It requires actions for us to stand on. Peter gives us in five through seven, seven actions that reflect a person who has a changed life and an active faith in Christ. I'm gonna walk through these real quickly. Number one, he says to faith in verse five, add to your faith goodness. What is goodness, Rick? It is exactly what you think it is. When I saw the word goodness, I looked it up. What does the Greek say it is? It's this moral purity. When I think of goodness, I think of grandpa, right? And my grandmother, they were good. They put everybody's interest in front of their own. When I think of goodness, I think of this moral purity. I've got a little one-year-old grandbaby, Elliot. Hopefully she'll be here the next hour. One years old, and I look into her eyes and I see this purity. She hasn't been polluted with the world yet. 
There's this purity that's in her eyes. That's the kind of goodness that we're talking about, this purity that we should have in our lives. Philippians, Paul writes in Philippians 4, he says, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. There needs to be goodness in your life. And he says, to goodness add knowledge. It's a seeking to know him more. Why? Why do I want to know God more? So that I may not sin against who? Him. Know him more. 2 Peter 3, verse 18. This is the very end of 2 Peter. It's only three chapters long. It says, but grow, Peter writes, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and forever. We need to grow in more knowledge of who Jesus is so that we can act like Jesus. He says to knowledge adds self-control. Literally what this means is not to be under the influence of, to be clear-minded, to be sober. Paul writes in Galatians 5, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. It's part of the fruits of the Spirit. It's important. That I don't fly off the hangover, that I don't cloud my mind with who I am along the way, but I'm clear-minded so I can see the things of Christ in my life, so that I can hear his still, small voice in my life. He says, add to self-control, perseverance. By the way, that word perseverance is another word for patience. Okay, if Linda will be here the next hour, she, she sits over there, she would tell you that Rick is really not a patient person, okay? And the holidays always bring that to the surface, always. I don't know what happens, but we lose our mind during the holidays on the roadways, right? We lose our minds. There'll be a parking space that's there, and I'll be waiting for like five minutes for this person to pull out. I don't know what they're doing. They got their parking light, I mean, their backup lights on. So I'm waiting. I'm at the summit, you know? I've got 35 cars behind me waiting, honking. And I'm like going, come on, man, just back this thing up. You've got your backup lights on. I don't know what people think. And then I'll have somebody come from the other direction, and what do they do? Right into that spot. I want you to know, it's everything in me to say, I'm not going to get out and just beat that person to a pole. <laughs> we lose our minds. Along the way, we truly do. It requires patience. My wife would be going, don't get out of the car, don't get out of the car, don't get out of the car, Rick, don't get out of the car. I know what y'all think. You're going, man, that's not the Rick that I really know. Man, do not pull in front of me, all right, in a parking spot. But I've been waiting for five minutes on. It requires perseverance. I love this verse. Here's a verse you can memorize in 2020. Write this down, Luke 21, 19. It says, stand firm and you will win life. Oh, man. You may go, I've never heard that verse. Before. Stand firm and you will win what? Life. Think about it. Everything in your life. Stand firm. Stand firm in what? Jesus Christ. Stand firm on the promises of God. Stand firm on his holy things. Stand firm and you will win life. Life. Persevere, y'all. Patience to endure those hard times. And to perseverance, he says, add godliness. 
And this is basically being in such reverence of the mighty power of God that moves us to live a life that reflects the character of God. And I love this verse as well. 1 Timothy 3.16, it says, Beyond all question, the mystery for which true godliness springs. So he's going to give us the answer. All right? If you're looking for answers in the Bible, just read it. It says, Beyond all question, the mystery from which true godliness springs is great. And this is how he answers it. He, meaning Jesus, he appeared in the flesh, was vindicated by the Spirit, was seen by angels, was preached among the nations, was believed on in the world, and was taken up in glory. Amen, amen, amen. Godliness. It's this picture of this reverential fear of who Jesus is, who God is. You know, I, I, my dad, I had this with my dad. I still have it today. You know, I'm 62 years of age. My dad's 83. And if he called me today and said, Rick, man, I'm disappointed in you. I want you to know, it would wreck my heart because I have so much, this reverence for my dad. And, and by the way, you know, back then, back in the day, you know, we did not spare the paddle, right? We did not spare it. God looked at the scripture says, this is do not spare. He, we did not spare, all right? We went through a bunch of those paddles. And I had this, this fear, this reverential fear for my dad because there was always consequences to my mess ups. And I love my dad for it. I'm a different man today because of it. And I want you to know, when we have that kind of reverence for a holy God, I promise you, you live differently. Because you know that you're going to have to help. There's going to be an account of your life one day when you stand before him. Godliness. And to godliness, mutual affection. It's a brotherly kindness. It's the word, this mutual affection. If you look at it, it's where we get the word Philadelphia. The city of what? Brotherly love. And I've been to Philadelphia, and it ain't that. Okay? But that's where we get the word. Romans 12, 10 says, Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. It's this picture of being sacrificial. It's this picture of putting your arm around somebody and saying, How can I help you? It's a picture of Jesus, right? And a mutual affection, it says, number seven, love. It's the Greek word agape. It's the highest form of love. A God kind of love that embodies sacrifice and commitment no matter what the cost may be. John 13, 35 says, but this, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Seven attributes, seven virtues that Peter gets that says, you need these in increasing measure because if you do these, you will never stumble. Look at verse 10, we'll be done. Peter concludes this whole section with these words. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm your calling and election. For if you do these things, the things that we've just mentioned, you will never stumble or you will never fall. And you will receive a rich welcome in the, in the, into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. What Peter is not saying he is not saying that your salvation is dependent on doing these seven virtues with perfection. He is not saying that. That's not what that means. Paul writes in the second chapter of Ephesians, he says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourself. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. It's a not about works. That's not what Peter is saying here. He's not saying if you do these seven things in perfection that you'll never fall. 
What Peter is saying is that by doing these virtues, it shows evidence of one's faith. Remember who he's writing to. He's writing to these new Christians, these new believers who are being swayed by this false doctrine of who Jesus is. And he's saying, listen, if you take on the image of Christ, those seven things are the image of Christ. It gives evidence to where your faith is and who you belong to. That's why you'll never fall. It gives evidence to that. 2 Corinthians 1.20, I texted this out to my kids this morning. I've got a son who's overseas, and, and um, I wanted my kids to wake up to this. And I love this verse, 2 Corinthians 1.20. It says, for no matter how many promises God has made, I love this, they are yes in Christ. Let me read that again. For no matter how many promises God has made, and by the way, there are hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of promises in the Word of God. For no matter how many He's made, they are a resounding yes when you're in Christ. Man, that don't give you goosebumps, Paul. Y'all dead. That gives me goosebumps to think that I have access to these promises because I'm in Christ. And these promises are rooted in Christ. It says, and so through him, the amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. Yes, knowing I have these promises and they're true because they're in Christ and because I'm in Christ, I have access to them. It says, man, we're gonna shout amen. Amen, that's what he says. Here's my impact points to begin 2020. Number one, memorize the seven promises to stand on, those seven virtues to stand on. Memorize those just by name. Put them on your refrigerator. Put them on that, that, that door, right? Just put them on there. So when you go by the refrigerator, it reminds you, oh, here's seven things that we need to do. Goodness, knowledge, self-control, perseverance, godliness, mutual affection, and love. Just put them on there. Memorize those seven so that you're reminded throughout the day. So you're in your office and man, just, you know, Somebody just keeps messing up and messing up and messing up. And all you want to do, it's like that person who dives in front of me <laughs> at the mall. All I want to do is get out of my car, you know, and go give him a piece of my mind. I need to remind us. Okay, God said, goodness, right? But brotherly kindness. I need to be reminded of those things so that I can act as Jesus would. Amen? It's pretty tough to do, isn't it? When somebody cuts in front of you. I get it. Memorize those seven virtues to stand on. Number two, don't give up. God's grace is enough. And I say amen to that for my life. His grace is absolutely enough for me. And then number three, be intentional living out our faith with purpose. Be intentional in 2020 of living out your faith because I want you to know there is a neighbor who doesn't know Jesus. There is a coworker who doesn't know Jesus. There is somebody in your life group who doesn't know Jesus. I promise you that. I promise 50% of all church roles, they say, 50% of those people don't know Jesus, this true knowledge of Jesus. There's, there's people in your family who don't know Jesus. Let's make 2020 this intentional picture of purpose in my life of reaching those around me who don't know Jesus. Because here's, here's the truth. One day, we all are gonna die unless Jesus comes back, right? In fact, you read in, in, in 
Second Peter, just read three chapters, it's great, because he's talking about the imminent coming of Jesus. So make sure, make sure you're on this path. Make sure that you hold on to these virtues. Make sure, you, because Jesus' return is imminent, imminent. And by the way, once that happens, it's done. And then you'll be held accountable for what's in here. So in 2020, let's have this intentional purpose that says, for what God has done for me, let me make sure that waitress or that waiter, leave him, leave, leave him a track. Let's make sure that neighbor knows who Jesus is by how you live this out. Make sure there's a loved one who needs Jesus. That you be intentional with that. What greater testimony can any of us have than one day get to heaven and have an uncle that you see who says, thank you. Thank you for sharing the truth about Jesus to me. What greater testimony can anyone have?